Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, we're pleased to have back Jake Russo of the Washington Examiner and his newsletter, The Monday Notice. Uh, welcome back, Jay. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. So we wanted to have somebody come on and sort of give us a, a, a picture of what's going on in the Biden campaign and also to have a sort of an interesting conversation about what a Biden presidency might actually look like, because I think a lot of people are sort of projecting onto Biden what they want to see out of Biden, or maybe even the opposite, projecting all their fears onto Biden. So I thought we'd ha- it would be good to have somebody who might have a little bit of a more independent-minded perspective, and I we thought of you. So uh, first, let's talk about the, the campaign. We're about uh, less than 100 days away from the presidential election. Uh, and it and it almost doesn't feel like a presidential election because there's so much coverage of the coronavirus and not that much, not the normal coverage you'd get in a presidential election. But uh, right now, Biden seems to be ahead in the polls, significant leads, um, and he's a he's ahead in the polls in several of the battleground states. Um, but Biden's taking a really low profile approach to the the campaign. Talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Talk about Biden's campaign approach and. And I guess just your views on what the what this whole election is going to be about. Well, Biden's playing it very smart. His team is 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 you know they it's adhering to the strategy of when your your enemy is hurting themselves, just you know let them keep going. And 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 Trump just continually, you know, to to put it in a nicer way, gets in his own way uh, constantly. And that's the reason why the, the polls are the way they are. I think the, the bigger concern for Trump is rather than so much the, the election polls, which do have Biden up, I think by an average of 8% or something like that is his public opinion polls, which he's, he's 14 points underwater. Uh, he, he, his approval rating at the time that he was elected, it was about the percentage of what he got in the popular vote, which is about 46%. And he won three states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan by about 80,000 votes. So he doesn't have any room for error. And when he comes out and tweets things like he did today, uh, saying, yeah, delay, you know, delay the, the, delay the election with a question mark and saying mail-in voting is ripe with fraud and it's going to be the most rigged election in history in the same day when a, when a report comes out that GDP dropped by like almost 10% in the last quarter, it, it's bad. And Biden has been good in kind of jumping on these little things and just kind of saying things that almost any politician would say. He's not saying anything extraordinary, but he doesn't have to. And that's the best part. He can lay low. At a certain point, he's going to have to come really come out of the bunker. And there's going to be, I assume there'll be some type of debate, whether it's in an empty hall or whether I, they do, I don't know, do, do via Zoom or something like that, where they're going to have to debate each other. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, holograms. But I think I think that Biden is just he's playing it smart, very low key. His whole his whole thing is kind of like, hey, we can get we can get back to a sense of just normalcy if you elect me. Uh, and 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 the Trump campaign and Trump himself is unfortunately they're in, they're in a bind. They're trying to make this a, another choice election, like it was in 2016, when most anybody who's ever run a campaign knows that in an, you know when it's an incumbent. It's a it's it's a referendum on the incumbent, not a choice between him and his and his, uh, and his opponent. 
Mexico. So I, I've long said that Biden's best strategy would be to do the absolute minimum amount of campaigning necessary to reassure people that he had not died of the coronavirus. <laughs> uh, so he, he could do just like occasionally do a, a brief video of him holding up the day's paper and talking about how Trump is bad. Uh, he's not quite there yet, but he's, I think he's mostly following my strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what he's been doing. And, and, and he just, he, he has, yeah, he's got his, obviously he's lost a step. You, you watch him in these, some of these things and he's got to find his thoughts. He's got to do this. This is not the same guy that debated Paul Ryan in 2012. Uh, but he's also someone who people can generally, he's also, I, his biggest advantage, I think, now is that he's not Hillary Clinton. He is not kind of loathed as much as Hillary Clinton was that people more associate him with the Obama years as opposed to the Clinton. I don't even if you want to call it a, a regime or something like that, but this thing that goes back 25, 26 years, even though Biden's been around much longer, it, that association is not necessarily there. So I think that's another advantage that he has. Yeah, I think that one of the interesting things uh, about Biden, I, I've, I've described him as sort of a green screen where everybody projects onto him what they what they think. And what I'm seeing is like if I'm on Twitter or something and there's uh, if you're more progressive, you're 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 telling all of your progressive buddies, you know, this is the second coming of Roosevelt. We're going to have the WPA. We're going to get everything we want. We're going to get the Green New Deal. <laughs> and then you pivot and. You, you see, uh, you know, people that are more uh, even even like, for, for instance, sort of the uh, if you're a, a Bill Crystal Republican, if you will, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's going to be more of just a moderate, a centrist, uh, you know, so it's interesting. It's an interesting campaign moment. But that also sort of prompts the question of who really is Joe Biden, because he, he he's been around a while. <laughs> you know, it's like we he actually has there's a book on him. There's you know, we've got a record of what he stands for. So give us a sense. I don't know how much you've covered him over the years, but I, you know, I figured you might be a good person to sort of talk about who Joe Biden really is, what his track record has been, as opposed to, for instance, like Nikki Haley projecting, oh, well, you know, uh, Warren is going to be the, uh, the power behind the throne, regardless of what role she has in the administration. You know, who is who is Joe Biden himself? He's got to be there. There's got to be some substance there, right? Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden is is. I know people paint him as a centrist. He's not really a centrist in the in the mold of some of the like the old blue dog uh, Democrats of of yesteryear. He's he's pretty much a kind of left liberal on most issues. Probably maybe a little bit more centrist in terms of foreign policy. I think. I, I think the the whole Trojan horse thing is is kind of more of a uh, conservative fear mongering situation where they're like, well, he's going to get in and then AOC is going to take over. I don't think I don't think they're going to. I think what I think the Democratic National Committee just basically stripped any mention of Medicare for all in their platform. Uh, I I think they he will obviously want to focus on center left policies in terms of. Economical policies, raising taxes, probably on the rich, you know, the usual litany of kind of democratic things that we've heard over the last 30 years. There's nothing new coming from him. There's nothing revolutionary coming from him. So whether what he does is 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 going to be is is kind of a mystery at this point, because I think right now, like I said, he's running a campaign where he's basically just like, hey, if I get in, at least things will go back to normal Uh, on the Supreme Court front. If Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
decides to to retire if he wins uh then we'll get there will probably be a very i would i would imagine probably a big fight he's probably going to nominate someone who is probably just as as liberal as ginsburg and look at their 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 record and and nominate accordingly um but i don't but this whole idea that he's just going to run roughshod over the over typical democratic ideals and start governing like Bernie Sanders and AOC and, and, and the squad and everything like that, I think is kind of, is a little far-fetched. That's, that's the way I see it. I don't think it's going to happen. The uh, question is whether or not if Congress is controlled by Democrats and they pass this stuff, is he going to sign it? Then yes, he probably will. I, I, who's going to veto legislation that comes from a, from their a majority party. Right. Yeah. And you know, that, that, that sort of tees up a, um, a, a, a a piece that I saw from David French this past week where uh, he basically was talking about whether uh, Trump skeptic Republicans and conservatives should just sort of burn down the entire Republican party or they should fight to, to maintain the Senate. And, you know, it really does make a difference if whether, whatever you might think about the Republicans in the Senate, if, if they, if they maintain the Senate, the, Biden's hands are really tied on a lot of things. You know, we can talk about, uh, you know, various policies where really it's, you know, apart from sort of making executive orders, there's there's limited ability for him to do certain things. It really has to run through the Senate. So maybe, you know, talk about that a little bit. What what would what would it look like? Sort of the two extremes of a uh, a Democrat sweep where they they win you know both houses and they win the the White House versus um, you know the Republicans holding the Senate. I would I would think that the obvious thing is there might be a little bit of payback on uh, judicial nominations uh, since uh, you know that was something that. Uh, Biden has had a hand in for 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 quite a while. What you know? What are your thoughts on all of that? Well, I I wrote something a couple of weeks ago um, where I referred to I, I I talked about the emergence of what I call the never never Trump Tea Party, um, and the the I had a had a cartoon uh, on it where uh, it was this was actually something that was that was done in the Tea Party era. Uh, the cartoon said, um, has, you know, it, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a, an elephant in a boat with like Washington crossing the Delaware and, and the elephant is saying victories in sight, both the house and the Senate. And then you have somebody from the tea party saying, not until we throw these compromising traitors overboard. And the traitors <laughs> are McCain, John McCain and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> so that was then this is now now you have republicans saying we need to we need to get rid of these traitors like susan collins and cory gardner uh I, you know if if you're if you think that you're going to find a better republican party by ejecting one of the few remaining kind of northeastern moderate republicans in congress or i should say in senate then what are you going to do like what's your plan how do you get somebody to replace her uh, six years down the road or, or four years down the road, whenever the next election is in Maine for a senator. Uh, so, but at the same time, I think if Collins and Gardner and, and Republicans lose the Senate, I said that that's a, I've argued going back to 2015, that that would be a consequence of a Trump presidency. Uh, right. the, the damage that he would do to the Republican party and the conservative to, and the conservative movement. So at that point, 
if 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 Democrats control the whole thing, then you know the Republicans have nobody to blame for themselves for whatever garbage gets passed in those first, at least in the first two years. Uh, so, but at the same time, yeah, I think it's I think it's better. I think I think having some gridlock in Washington is a good idea. Uh, unfortunately, we we it's it's become a situation where it's so it's so partisan that there there's no there's no such thing anymore as kind of give and take and compromise which is what's necessary for certain legislation i know some people probably don't care and probably are glad if something doesn't happen uh, but when you when you when you dismiss small victories as capitulation you're just doing you're just doing your your side a, a disservice over the long run is there anybody better better suited if you will um, to maybe change the dynamics in Washington. I mean, he's a he's a long long serving senator, so you would think he knows how to play that game. Do you think that there's anything that Biden could do to sort of change the dynamic and get Congress functioning a little better and more consensus building, both for, in terms of within Congress and consensus within both parties working with the White House? Do you think that there's anything he can do um, to improve things? It's possible. I mean, uh, what you have now in Trump and 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 to a, to a lesser degree in in Obama for eight years are two guys that weren't interested in actually really negotiating or doing any kind mm-hmm. of thing where you'd actually have people do that the way the way George W. Bush did, the way Bill Clinton did. Hey, let's get everybody in here and we're, we'll work something out until we until we uh, and we'll, we'll we'll talk till we hammer something out. Now these things are kind of formalities. They bring people in, and it's all televised, and it's just them kind of like yelling at each other. It's it, it's pointless. Will Biden use uses knowledge of Senate rules and things of that nature to kind of to to maybe do something? I don't know. It's hard. It's it, it's hard to tell in this kind of environment what kind of pushback he'll get from from the very online crowd if he tries to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as much as we try to sit there and I know Josiah has spoken of this, you know, the, the, the very online thing is kind of a very small portion of the electorate, which really doesn't, most people won't even know what's going on, but unfortunately it has a lot of influence because we saw some of the things that Joe Biden has, has changed his views on, particularly like the Hyde amendment, for example, which is kind of like the lowest hanging fruit for a Democrat to have in the pro-life kind of like area and he reversed himself on that one. So I don't know. It, it, it'd be interesting to see, but you'd probably know early on how it would go. It wouldn't take long to figure out. Do you think that there's anything that, that Biden can do sort of as a, as a tip of the hat to sort of never Trump Republicans uh, or other Trump skeptics by I've, I've heard for instance, and I don't, I think this is probably a little far-fetched, that rather than Susan Rice as a VP, that he ought to be asking Condoleezza Rice. Is there a high profile Republican that could be a VP or probably more likely maybe one or two cabinet spots that might sort of tip the hand that this is going to be more it's great to use a Clinton era phrase. This is going to be this is going to be a cabinet that looks like America. <laughs> yeah. Forget about the VP uh, situation. There's absolutely no way they would go for like Condoleezza Rice. I, right. I, I always th- I always thought it would be Kamala Harris, but I, I'm thinking more uh, it, Biden is going to be much more comfortable with someone that he knows and who he's worked with for for a considerable amount of time. And so Susan Rice is actually probably one of the dark horses that, you know, could really emerge as a front runner at some point. 
And he also has to think of, I think I, I was talking to somebody and I said, I think this may be the first election. We always put a lot of emphasis on VP choices on running mates. And most of the times it really doesn't matter. People don't go to a voting booth wondering about, you know, the whole myth of Sarah Palin in 2008 was just ridiculous. There was Republicans were going to lose that election uh, if, 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 if McCain had Jesus himself as his running mate. Um, but this time it might be a little bit different. I don't think it'll be a, make a big difference, but I think there will be some people who will sit there and say, he's just nominated Kamala Harris. If he doesn't last one term, I don't know if I want her becoming president of the United States. That's again, that's another situation for Susan Rice is that she is so uh, loathed by the right, especially over Benghazi and all other stuff. I don't know what it would do, but I mean, it, it, it the cabinet though, possibly. Yeah. I mean, he probably though, like it'll be like the, interior secretary or something. Right. I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be a big, it's not going to be defense or state or any kind of high profile cabinet position. It'll be something where you wouldn't even know right now. If, if you were to ask to, to name who was the, I don't even know who the interior secretary is right now. So uh, there you go. There, so, there you have so, it. so, so, so Jay is predicting John Kasich for interior <laughs> <laughs> or postmaster general. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that would be, that would be good. No. Dad was a mailman. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I, 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 I was just wondering. Yeah, maybe he knew someone who was a mailman. It might work out for him. Yeah. So um, you 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 brought up the president's tweets this morning about postponing the election. Uh, tell tell us about where are we in all this with the uh, the. Uh, is there any way that the federal government, Trump, the federal government can actually cause a postponement of the election? Can they require states to not allow access to mail-in votes in the middle of a pandemic? Isn't this all just complete bluster? It is all complete bluster. It, it, still, it's, it, it's, it's somewhat dangerous in that what his mindset is, but at the same time, whether or not it actually gets carried out i think a lot of times he floats this stuff he'll fan the flames he'll sit there and fan the flames but it's a lot of time his opponents who leap on it and then create this pavlovian kind of scenario in which it's going to be carried out and so they will start they start looking for the scenarios in which he can actually delay the election well uh even though congress sets the date the states can sit there and refuse to count ballots or outline electors and if Biden doesn't have 270. He can't win. And it, it all it, it becomes more like a, a plot line from for a streaming television show as opposed to the real government. Now, yeah, Trump has blown up norms in a way that other presidents haven't. But at the same time, he hasn't been able to kind of do these these uh, create this environment where he can do whatever he wants the way he says he can. And for everybody who says, well, if Trump is reelected, our democracy is destroyed and, and our democracy is no, our democracy is not at stake. We've had presidents that, that did stuff far worse in the past than Trump. And we're still here and everything is okay. And we'll and, um, I, I, for me to sit there and think that the nation's destiny rests on the shoulders of a reality TV show host is not something I'm just willing to accept, no matter how ridiculous he sounds and no matter how absurd his Twitter feed is. I, I, I think people react to it too much, sit there and say, yeah, this is nonsense. You can't do it. That's it. But then the panic sets in and 
will if you turn on MSNBC now, that's probably all they're going to be talking about the rest of the afternoon. 2020 has been such an eventful year for news. Uh, so you know, back in back in January, we were all talking about how Im- the impeachment was going to affect the election, and uh, now I think I guess people still remember that president was impeached had something to do with Ukraine maybe. Uh, but just so much other stuff has happened. It, it, it makes it a little bit difficult to think, well, what we don't know what the next five months could bring. Uh, you know, I don't know if Godzilla is going to come back. Uh, <laughs> the Navy saying that UFOs are real, uh, you know, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. Um, but I, I guess there is a question of, well, how right now uh, things don't look that great for Trump. So if you're trying to, like, sketch out a, a scenario of how he turns it around, what do you what do you what do you got? <laughs> well, I, I think the race is going to tighten naturally, as most races do. Um, but I. I the problem for Trump is he's utterly incapable of controlling himself. And it's like, even when you do something good. It, it, so basically with the tweet this morning and with the demon sperm doctor, he blew up any good graces that he received when he re started the, the coronavirus briefings and he had the first one. And maybe uh, for some of our viewers who are not quite, so hooked in the news cycle. Maybe you could explain about the demon sperm doctor. Oh, yeah. So, so there's this doctor who was uh, essentially did this video or talking about you don't need to wear masks. There's a cure and promoting. Uh, uh, what, what is what is the hydro? I don't even say it was from hyd- yeah. yeah, hydroxychloroquine. And turns out that she thinks that there's issues with people who have alien DNA and there, she was making references to, you know, the mixture of the human stuff with demon sperm. And it, it, <laughs> I, I, I can't even, it's, it's, it's so ridiculous that we even have to talk about it. it, it the, the tweets that where she spoke of it, I think Donald Trump and his son might've retweeted it and they took those tweets down uh, because of what she was saying. Um, and then Trump, of course, this morning with the with the delay of the election, and so that just everything. And I, you know, the funny thing is, I think a lot of people realized that they were just like, "Yeah, he's saying this, and this is good," but you know, he's going to blow it. You know, this is not going to last, and it didn't. And that's his problem: is that he. It, I mean, I don't know how this is if this is a podcast that's meant for families, but he keeps <laughs> stepping on his, he steps on his own dick every time he has an opportunity. To move ahead, he it further sinks himself into this into this hole where he thinks that as long as his base is happy and as long as they're behind him, then that's going to be enough for him to win again. And as I said before, with an 80,000 vote margin in three different states where he's behind, he doesn't have any room for error. And uh, if, if he loses... Now, Biden has to win all three. If the election stayed the same as in 2016, everything stayed the same. Biden has to win all three of those. He can't get two out of three. If he gets two out of three, he's got to win those two, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin with a combination of North Carolina or Arizona. Um, but but Trump is behind in Florida and he's been hurt 
on the coronavirus thing, especially among seniors, people who who are are locked in their homes, they can't do anything, or they're in nursing homes, they're in 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 uh, assisted living facilities, they can't visit family, they can't go anywhere. It's it's terrible, and and his his ratings have plummeted down there in with the over sixty five set. So. Um, as far as him turning things around, you know, again, it's hard because if he if he would just focus on the fact that, hey, we had to shut the government had to shut down. This is not an economic disaster that came as a result of any kind of government policies, but rather a virus. We're working to combat it and let's focus on getting our economy going again. And if he did that, then then perhaps people might say in late October, even people who are fence sitters or people who were saying they'll vote for Biden now, but change their mind saying, yeah, you know what? Things are back on track. Maybe we don't like disrupt that apple cart, but he, I don't know if things will get any better. I think his, his, his election rigging chatter is just going to get worse as time goes on. Right. I think the thing that's, that's the most sort of disturbing, I guess, from a conservative point of view is, there was such an opportunity in 2020 with all the events that have happened in terms of, uh, you know, we, we look at the George Floyd protests um, and uh, everything that sort of ensued from that to the extreme now of, in Portland. Um, all of this, almost all of this is happening in Democrat controlled cities mm-hmm. and a, a savvy administration and a savvy campaign would have would have made a lot of uh, points on this by really pointing out that not only do you need to reelect us, but we need to we need to go deeper and we need to be, uh, you know, here's the plan for what a Republican run city looks like. And here's how we fight this systemic racism and everything else. And here's how we bring it, you know, uh, bring greater equality and police brutality. But there was there was none of that. And it's just astonishing to me from a just a pure retail politics standpoint, what an absolute gift that was. And they blew it. Well, that was a question that had come up. It was like, how is Trump going to respond to a crisis? And we've seen that. And it's been a it's been a big, giant failure. Even, you know, talk about the tweeting again, the Portland situation. You had people even like me who who took a narrow view of the fact that yeah, there's nothing wrong with federal law enforcement officers defending a federal courthouse. You can dis- disagree with 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 the tactics being carried out, but you know to sit there and say this is ridiculous, this shouldn't be happening is is kind of foolish. But even now, he's basically saying, well, if the governor isn't going to fix this, and if the mayor's not going to fix the entire city, we're going to go in and do it. And it's like, there you go. You just kind of you, now you're you're threatening federal law enforcement in an entire state and you just you just lost any any argument that you might have had about the narrowness of of having law enforcement officers defend a federal courthouse so there's that you're right the george floyd protests uh, i i think i heard somebody float the idea that part of it was you know particularly the violence and the and the, and the looting and everything was a combination of of the the floyd Death as in well as well as the lockdowns. People were the bored lockdowns for sure. Yeah, the lot yeah. people were bored, and this gave them an opportunity to go out there and just kind of run crazy. Uh, but 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 he doesn't have the capability to kind of see the big picture. 
So this is his chance to be the law and order president, which is why he's tweeted law and order about 56 times in the last you know, <laughs> two, and half, two and a half months. It's like whenever I see that now, all I think of is the TV show and I hear dun dun after, after I see it. Uh, so, it's, you know, it, you're right. It's a, a complete missed opportunity. I don't like the whole idea of never let a crisis go to waste, but right, it was, right. It, it, you're right. It gave him an opportunity to rise to the occasion and he just couldn't do it. Oh yeah. Well, I just wanted to, ask about some of the Senate races, since that's so mm-hmm. important. Um, and, you know, I haven't, I guess people have different lists of what are the big targets, but, you know, Cory Gardner, uh, Susan Collins in Maine, there's like, I mean, there is, a, there is technically a Democrat senator from Alabama, Doug Jones. Uh, I think they'll, they'll probably pick that one up although you never know um mm-hmm. what i mean what is your assessment of how those races are going is uh are 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 folks likely to get weighed down by trump or the pandemic or unrest or you know what, what like what's the state of play there uh well, I think okay, so I'll 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 give two guaranteed losses and I think that's Arizona and Colorado. And I, I mostly because Martha McSally is just not a very good politician. We know she couldn't win a, a, a race against, you know, she she's only in her position because she was appointed. She couldn't beat Kirsten Cinema in a statewide race and she wasn't a very good politician when she was just a house member. So I think yeah. she's going to get trounced there. What is it about McSally? You know, because on the on someone obviously sees uh, some potential in her. Otherwise, she wouldn't. I mean, I guess she wouldn't have won the primary the first time. And then they, you know, so when they appointed her to fill the seat after she had lost, someone must have thought that was a good idea. Um, you know, and I, I will I will say that. Uh, uh, the person that she lost to, uh, Kristen Sinema, is that how you pronounce it? Cinema. Cinema. Cinema, I think. Cinema. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, from my perspective, uh, for she's probably among the most reasonable of the Democratic senators and certainly has the most flair. Uh, so, you mm-hmm. know, I suppose I could see some appeal there. But. Like, I mean, McSally is, I guess she's like a fighter pilot. Uh, you know, she was in the house before, but it just doesn't seem to be, you know, uh, clicking for her. And like, you know, I don't want to do a postmortem before the election, but <laughs> what, what's, what's going on there? Well, I mean, you, you brought up, you brought up cinema, which is, which is, which is a good example because what did cinema do when she got elected? She got to work. And she wasn't afraid to cross the aisle and work with Republicans, especially on issues that she cared about. So especially with issues related to veterans and that nature, she knows her constituents. And I let's face it, she was one of the biggest surprises. Everybody had dug up all that kind of crazy left wing stuff that she'd been spouting in the past. And 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 who knows, maybe with a Democratic president, she jumps on board the whole Green New Deal agenda. But she also understands how to operate in 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 a minority status. So that's good. She's done it. She's done it very smart. I think McSally had the benefit of the whole fighter pilot thing, but she just couldn't seem to put it together. And then, 
and it, rather than just kind of being more of an independent voice, which I think people want in Arizona, which seems to be kind of like, and same thing with Colorado. It's a little, they're a little different, little quirky uh, states. They're in their electorate, but McSally decided to become more of kind of like a, a Trump promoter. And I don't, I'm not going to use the word enabler. I hate that word, uh, but, but more of a, a Trump promoting type who got on board the Trump train. And, and, and I think that that kind of, that kind of attitude is something that I think a lot of voters in that state probably were, were, were turned off by. And same thing with Cory Gardner in Colorado. And also because Gardner is going up against Hickenlooper, who is another kind of weird guy, but he's also pretty popular in the state. So he's, he's got that advantage. Uh, this is not somebody who's just come out of the blue. So that's why I think those are the two most vulnerable uh, GOP senators in this race. Tom Tillis is also in trouble, but not as much. He could still pull it out. And same thing with Susan Collins. Six years ago, I think of the same situation. She was kind of down four or five points to her, whoever who she ran against. I can't remember. I just remember her being down. And then in the last month, kind of, you know, poured a lot of money into the race and, and wound up winning. So I don't know about that. And in Alabama, I, you know, I look, I think Jones victory is a fluke because they just had the, the GOP nominated the absolute positively worst candidate they could ever nominate. And, and he won. And I don't think he'll beat Tuberville this time around. So even if I think those four races, let's say that the Republicans lose all four of those. And then, and then they pick up the one in Alabama. That, what is that? Does that make it? 50 50 i think at that point uh, so that should be that should be fun yeah or 50 to 49 and two, or 40 50 48 and two or something like that because sanders and and uh and uh what's his name from maine are are independents angus oh. king. angus angus king right right so, i mean i i just i think arizona and colorado are, are two definites where the gop are gonna are gonna lose which is kind of a shame i think i think gardner was a good senator he ran a great campaign the last time around uh, he was one of the Republicans that came out and advocated for over-the-counter birth control, uh, which just blew the minds of Democrats who were outraged at the possibility, which kind of makes little sense. But uh, uh, it was I thought it was a good idea. He kind of buttressed the whole anti-woman um, narrative by doing that. So, But, I, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard to tell the, 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 the worst part for Trump in, the, in that. And when you're thinking about it in terms of the Senate races and tying the two together in 2016, people who won their Senate races did a whole and in congressional races did a whole lot better than Trump did. So if if they're going to lose and that, that really if they if they're on the edge of losing, that doesn't uh, doesn't it's not a very good sign for President Trump. So let's let's turn to a more important subject. Um, after months of delay, we finally got back Major League Baseball. Um, and from what I can tell, your 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 Yankees look pretty good when they're playing. Uh, but I think that you, the Yankees are, are one of the teams that have had a few games uh, canceled recently because of COVID. Because of I think there's this I know in, in the Miami Marlins had like several players that have come down with COVID, and there's been a handful of games that have been. Um, canceled so my my question for you is do you think that we're really going to have a major league baseball season that's actually going to play out well that's well the good news is uh that no other players i think have tested positive and found out that the reason why marlins players tested positive is because a bunch of them went out partying in atlanta um which was not a very 
Yeah, not a bright and not a bright idea in the midst of a pandemic, especially in Georgia, where they've opened a lot more. I don't know quickly, but with less restrictions than other states. Um, but if 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 it happens again, yeah, I don't know because it, think about it: with a sixty-game season, they don't have much room to sit there and kind of like postpone games and cancel games and move things right. around. They just they can't do it. So if there is, if it, if it happens on another team. Or if it happens to several other teams where they have to delay games or they have to cancel games, and then yeah, I think at a certain point they'll probably just say, "Look, we, it's just not worth it to to try and do this and shut down the entire season." I think right now uh, everything's in a in a kind of a good place. You know, the Yankees decided to vote unanimously to play the game against Baltimore last night, which was great since they won nine to three, um, and 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 they're playing tonight, and things are moving along, but. Uh, it, it's a big question mark, but I think as long as if if teams are smart and it's like, hey, you know what? It sucks, but go play the game and then go back to your hotel and and just hang out. <laughs> Don't right. skip but the I bars. Think, I, I think that there'd be a very different conversation if this wasn't the Marlins and if this was the Yankees, Astros or Dodgers, because then you'd be like, wait a minute. Now, a team that actually has a shot at the World Series may not be able to play. Now that the whole competitiveness of everything is changed. Like if, if we just, you know, replace the Marlins with a, or, you know, I think they've got 60 people on their, on their pool. They can put out nine people at a time. Uh, but if it's, if it was one of the real contenders, I think it might be a very different conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. It, it, and, and that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big concern because you have teams like the Yankees and you have teams like the Dodgers both of whom think that they were victims, of course, of the Astros' uh, blatant cheating. I don't. I don't know if Josiah is a, an Astros fan or not. So if he is, I was just no. That's just me. He, no, I, I would be, <laughs> I would be uh, problematically named Texas Rangers. So. Oh, you're a Texas Rangers fan. Okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm a, I'll, I'm a, I'm somewhat of a fan of the Texas Rangers because let me say this: when I was at the Dallas Morning News and we were doing the. Um, uh, the Texan of the year, uh, the first year that I was there, Jose Altuve was one that that got nominated, but I could not get a single person from from the Astros on the phone to sit there and give me a quote about this guy who was like this player, and and, and it was uh, who was it from from Texas who actually called me back, one of his friends. Uh, Gosh, I can't even remember his name now. But it was a guy from the Texas Rangers who actually called me and gave me a quote and everything like that about what a great person Jose Altuve was because he's personal <laughs> friends. With him. So there's that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's, yeah, it, it's tough. It's like you don't want to sit there. You know these guys. You know the Yankees are a good team. Dodgers know they're a good team, and those are the top two contenders right now. And it would suck if they've everybody got healthy. I mean, that was it, the delay was good for both teams because they had people that might have gotten hurt that were hurt and hurting and they got healthy and now they're ready to go. And then all of a sudden to play 10, 15 games and have it shut down. It's just kind of like, Ugh. and, and right. I, I, and it stinks for fans. I mean, I love the game. It was so great. I, I was missing it so much. I was one of those people that was up early for a time watching Korean baseball. Cause I just wanted to watch it. And so now that it's back, it's, 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 it's fantastic. I mean, it sucks that there's no crowd and, but whatever, it's still fun to watch. It's a good escape. Right, we right. certainly need some escape lately. All right. Well, uh, Jay, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, guys, thank you very much. And uh, be, you know, it, uh, thanks for inviting me. It's always good. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we ask that you would subscribe, leave favorable reviews, and tell your friends to tune in to the Irving Cowboys.